I don't know what the date is. Actually, well, I know what today's date is, but I don't know what the date will be when I release this episode. But that's okay. It doesn't really matter what the date is. I don't know why I brought that up. You have a new episode of the Energy is Love podcast to listen to. Thank you for listening. Seriously, though, huge amount of satisfaction doing the podcast on my end. And I hope that you guys, the listeners, have a huge amount of satisfaction listening. And I have the deepest gratitude for everybody that does tune in, that has subscribed to the show and shared it. And oh, what else? What else? Uh, All of those things. This podcast is something that I love doing and I'm passionate about doing. And I really, really enjoy just the simple act of sitting down and getting to have these conversations with really, really cool people. We've got some new stuff up on the website. So if you go to energyislovepodcast.com, you can find it. (laughs) It's nothing fancy. I've started blogging, so I'm behind the curve by about 20 years. But really, my goal with the blog is to just put out my random thoughts and my feelings and whatever happens to come to me. I wake up in the morning a lot of times and I feel the inclination to write And in the past, I would let that feeling disappear as the day progressed. But now I'm getting up and I'm actually writing those things. So go check it out. It's energieslovepodcast.com and then click on the little tab that says blog. (laughs) I try to make everything as convenient as possible for, for the listeners. You can click on episodes. That's where you can listen. You can click on blog. That's where you can read the blog. You can click on sponsors. That's where you can find out about the sponsors. You can click on the contact tab button. That's where you can shoot me an email. There is one other tab up there and it's titled coaching. What is coaching you ask? That's a great question. I don't really know quite what coaching is either, but it's the term, the label, the thing that I've used to describe what it is that I do. And so what I do is really help men by working with them one-on-one. And at the end of the day, The focus and the goal of that is to help that man connect to himself, help that man connect to his emotions, connect to his feelings, and that's it. Really, the space is just the opportunity to practice the skill set of connecting to what you feel, period. I know that might seem strange because a lot of times I do it remotely, not, not like remote viewing. That would be awesome. I teleport into your living room and we have a uh, that's where we have our appointment. No, we do it over Skype. If you live, if you don't live here in Utah, and if you do live here in Utah, then I can work with you directly, which is kind of cool as well. But really, it's just that space of connecting one-on-one with that man and helping them expand and open up and connect to all the beautiful stuff that they have inside of them, and let them recognize all of that and feel all of that, as well as some of the negative stuff that we hide from. Men are really, really good at burying their emotions and not feeling them. And we got to bring that stuff out and we got to feel through it. And when you do all of those things, that really opens up your life. I have experienced that. I've seen other men experience that. And when your life opens up, you are able to connect to every aspect of your life, all your relationships, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your children, whether it's with your friends, your family, those relationships open up and you're able to connect with those people more and feel your way through those experiences more. But then in the big picture, you start to see yourself differently. You start to see where you're at. You start to see what you want. That's a big question. What is it that you really, truly want? And what I want is to work with men. Anybody that's interested, please hit me up. Go to the website. Read a little bit about it. 
and then just reach out, send me an email. I always try to make these uh, introductions at the beginning of the episode short, and they never quite work out that way, but that's okay. This episode, I'm so fucking excited about. So Robert Sturman is the guest on today's podcast, and I have had Robert on the show. I interviewed him, I think like a year and a half ago or something. It was a long time ago, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. But at the time, it was one of those episodes that I really, really, really liked doing. I mean, I like doing all the episodes, but the connection that Robert and I had way back when was pretty good, even though it was over Skype. And so I always kept in the back of my mind, Robert lives in California, and if I was ever coming through California, I was going to reach out to him, which is exactly what I did. A few weeks back, Stephanie and I had a nice big long road trip where we got to drive down the coast spend some time with some family, and we also got the opportunity to record some podcasts. Robert was kind enough to uh, invite us to a studio there in Santa Monica, and then him and I just got to sit down at his kitchen table and record this amazing episode, and it really is an amazing episode. Coincidentally, and I didn't realize this at the time, but we recorded this episode on the World Mental Health Day, so it was the day designated worldwide to kind of bring awareness to mental health and all those other kind of issues, so it fit perfectly with what we talked about. And right off the bat, we just got into it. And Robert showed up completely for it and shared openly about what he struggles with, what his real big, huge purpose in life and what his goal is really is just to overcome some of these things. He's an amazing guy. He obviously has a huge body of work that I encourage you to go and check out. You can go to his website. It's robertsturmanstudio.com. He's a photographer. He takes amazing pictures and does wonderful, wonderful work out there in the world. He also has a podcast. I encourage you to go download and listen and subscribe and all those things that you do with podcasts, and you can find it everywhere that you can find podcasts. It's called the Asana Society Podcast. He interviews a lot of cool people that he works with closely. I think that's uh, all we got to throw out there. Now, really, just sit back and take this episode in. Two men sitting down at a table in California having an open, honest conversation about their feelings and what they go through and what they experience. It's powerful stuff. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it, man. And now everybody get to sit back and relax and enjoy another wonderful episode. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. You know, the worst damn part is um, I've had this uh, ear infection that has kicked my ass for like, it's almost a month now. It's like three and a half weeks and I can't hear anything out of my left ear other than this super high pitched ringing sound. Okay. Do you have, uh, do you have medical? Or no? No. No, I went and got okay. some antibiotics and everything, and it kicked the uh, sinus infection that caused it all. But yeah. But this thing just lingers. Okay. It drives me bonkers. Let me tell you something. So, I get ear infections too, and I used to have insurance that would pay for this little thing of medicine, and when I stopped getting the prescription refills, because I never get a prescription, he gave me that. And I didn't realize how much it would be. It's four hundred dollars. Oh wow! So my ear is in so much pain. And then I drove down to Mexico in the middle of the night on Sunday, and a couple months ago, and I went to the pharmacy and I found an identical medicine 
for four six dollars and fifty cents and I I'll very rarely use it I have a brand new one for you if you'd like it is it just like drops it's an antibiotic yes oh that's awesome man yeah I want to go will you remind me I want to just make it's brand new yeah I'll totally remind you because it's kicking my ass okay all right like it's not in $6. pain anymore and the pharmacist said this is the same thing wow yeah I hate that whole dynamic that we have here in the states it's horrible yeah it's asinine they don't give a shit about the people how far is Mexico from here two and a half hours that's not bad not bad at all do you go down there often not as much as I probably should because it's fun to slip into another country yeah i was well i wasn't supposed to but um because I, I travel for work and set up uh, float tanks and things like that and we had a an installation down there in mexico and i don't remember where it was but uh i was super busy at the time so i ended up sending my other guy and um it ended up i'm really glad i didn't go he said it was like super bizarre they had to have security the entire time. It wasn't safe. And they put the float tank. Are you familiar with floating at all? Yes. I've they, done it once. <laughs> they put the tank in some sort of like bar where there were like TVs and a dance floor. And just over in the, uh, like in an alcove right there, they had this float tank set up. So I don't really think they knew what the hell they were getting into. But it kind of cracked me up when he came home and he was like, yeah, it was, he, he couldn't decide if it was like some sort of sex show thing or something like that too it just had like super weird vibe that they were putting this float tank in but yeah what do you do man this sound is incredible <laughs> i guess you gotta have the headphones to really feel what's going on yeah they help you know when i started i went back and forth on whether or not they were necessary and sometimes i would wear them and then i wouldn't have other you know but i have found that it helps kind of keep you in the zone a little bit yeah and then also sound quality so like if i start to get drift away from the microphone right then i'll hear that and remember that yes. oh yeah i need to stay up on the, the mic zone and, it keeps you present say yeah. you can fire anything at me i can take it man <laughs> i'm ready for this well i've been super excited man i can't thank you enough thank you this is an, uh like it's still kind of surreal for me do you know what I mean? To think that um, I loved having you on the podcast way back when, and we should probably go back and I should have done that beforehand to figure out when it was and what episode it was so that people can go back and listen to it. But um, one of the things that I absolutely love about podcasting and having, because I have a normal life, I think, right? We have four kids. We live in this small little town. I, I don't do anything, right? It's just this life that I have that's super basic and normal, even though it's a good life. And then I had this opportunity to reach out to whoever the hell I want. And I'm a huge fan of you. And I, I think, I, I mean, I'm sure you realize that. I've talked to you about it before and everything like that. But I love that I get to follow somebody like you on social media. I get to see your work. And you started a podcast. I get to listen to your podcast. I get to do all these things. And then I just get to be like, hey, man, I'm coming through town. And you're so sweet and generous and kind. And now we get to sit here in person. And it makes me super thankful and super happy. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you too. And I'm, I'm just like a little kid. I just like being around cops and prison guards. <laughs> what is it about it, you think? Well, for you, it, it's fascinating to me with you because that is such a... You found a way for the opposites to... You built a bridge. So it's a, it's a highly evolved evolution. And that's what's so fascinating to me about... I don't think I would want to just hang out with anybody but what you've managed how where your life has taken you 
to doing this thing called Energy is Love podcast after being a prison guard and a police officer. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. <clears throat> when I stop and think about it, because it's been three years since I got out of law enforcement, which both seems like a really, really long time. But then at the same time, like three years is nothing, right? Three years can pass by in the blink of an eye. And it's so easy for me to instantaneously go back to that and to remember that and to be like drop right into those experiences that I used to have. And in that space that I used to live in and breathe in and exist in so much. And then I think about where I'm at today and how different of a person I am. Like you said, it's a big evolution from where I was to where I am today. And sometimes I don't realize it. It's that thing where you just kind of have to take stock in your life every periodically and see how far you have come and how different things are because it's night and day difference. Yeah. We could spend this whole podcast of me just asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I doubt you've ever really shared what it's like. You know, I've tried to. Um, it's one of the things that I really wanted to do with the podcast was talk about what it is really like for cops because nobody really understands what it's like, uh, first and foremost, like in the media or, you know, uh, movies, TV, things like that. They never get it right. Sometimes you'll get a good TV show or a good movie that gets close and gives you a little sample of it. But the real life experience of being a police officer in the world today you don't really understand unless, of course, you are one. And I've done the best that I can to share about it as much as I can and talk about it. I always strive to get cops to come on the show to talk about it from their perspective and the realities of what it's really like. But that has been one of the hardest damn things to do is to get them to come on the podcast and open up and talk about it, especially if they're still in law enforcement. Like it's one thing if they're uh, retired or if they've left the profession and gone on to something else, they're a little bit more open and willing. But by and large, if they're still a cop, if they're still in law enforcement in any way, shape or form, the last thing they want to do is come and sit down and talk about it on a podcast. And I get it. Like, I remember what that was like where, you know, if three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, if you talk to me and you're like, Hey, come talk about like the realness of what you experience and go through, not just the cool shit that we get to do and all that kind of stuff, but what it's really like, because I think the biggest part for me after being out of it for so long was how much it affected me, even though I wasn't aware of it when I was in the middle of it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. The, uh, the effects of all of that stress and the trauma and the experiences that you have on a daily basis and even just the way that you have to live your life in order to cope and survive in that environment leaves this like heavy heavy uh, cloud over you do you know what i mean yeah it just shapes so much of the way that you uh, interact and think and feel and all that kind of stuff and that's the stuff that i want to share and that's the stuff that i want everybody else to hear and realize so that when they do interact with police officers or if they happen to, you know, have a cop in their family or be married to a cop or know a cop or whatever the case may be, they can look at it from a different perspective and realize that, well, there's a lot more that they're dealing with and doing and experiencing than anybody really understands and knows. But it's hard. It's hard to get cops to open up and talk about that shit on a podcast. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I have one for you. Are you talking about... Officer Milosevic. He's retired. Dude. He'd be perfect. I listened to him on your show and 
I've listened to it multiple times. I loved that episode of your podcast. And he, I've, I've reached out to him and connected with him oh, after good, that. Good. And I was going to try to um, hook up with him when we were here. But he's, I guess he's traveling or he's, I think in, he's New in New Mexico or something Mexico like now. that. Yeah. You guys will cross paths. I'm hoping to. Yeah. Because, yeah, we've connected a little bit and it's only a matter of time, hopefully, that I'd be able to sit down with him. Because I don't know if you remember, but when I was a cop, that's when I first found your work. And it was the photograph of him. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I found you. And that's how I started following you. Because that image itself had such impact on me at the time. And then hearing him on your show and getting to listen to him and hear some of his story and some of his experiences, it was like, yeah, that's a fucking guy that I know. That's a guy that I want to connect with and talk to because, do you know what I mean? He, I mean, he was in it way longer than I was too. I think he had a full career of like 20 plus years. Yeah. He started uh, in the army and then became a police officer. Yeah. And then his evolution. I love it. Yeah. He's a super cool guy. Yeah. So I got started too soon and I forgot I've started. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm trying to do now with the podcast is every time that I interview somebody, I have the same question right off the bat. Are we, this podcast started 20 minutes ago, did it not? Or <laughs> yeah. are we just, are we just chatting? <laughs> this is it. We started. Uh, I figured but, we did. But I screwed up because I usually ask everybody this question ah, right off okay. the bat. Let's hear it. It's uh, what form of mental illness do you struggle with or have you struggled with throughout your life? Wow. That's interesting because it is, there's an awareness day for everything, but (laughs) I think today is mental awareness day. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Like international or whatever. There's so many days. Um, what form do I struggle with? Yeah. Like whether it's, you know, currently something that you, uh, and the, the reason I have this question or I pose this question is because I believe that everybody, whether we want to label it as suffers or deals with um, some form of mental balance issue in their life throughout their entire life. And it always comes and goes. And some people have a harder time and a bigger struggle with it. And some people have a lesser struggle with it, but nobody talks about it openly. Nobody discusses it. Everybody wants to think that unless you have been diagnosed with bipolar or schizophrenic, then, then you're fine. You don't have any issues. But I, I believe that everybody does and everybody struggles in those spaces at times. So I just try to talk about it as much as possible and get as many different people thinking about it and talking about it in a different way. Great. Yeah, that's a, that's truly a, a, a wonderful question because I do realize that I am, that's my dog Chai, <laughs> chasing a squirrel. Um, I think that my mental illness if I had to put a label on it, I'd say that it's a tendency to have bouts of extreme insecurity and deep vulnerability and um, going down a rabbit hole into somewhat some sort of an existential crisis where I feel deep unworthiness and I fall into this illusion that um, that really can be frightening at times. And I always pull out of it, but it's an old friend or enemy or whatever it is. It's just something that reoccurs that um, I think it it's a cross between being human and being an irresponsible human at the same time, because usually how 
it's it I experience a bout of it is when I go into a place I do different actions of disrespecting myself my higher self and and then I I will fall and the older I get the more severe it is the more like there could be moments where I feel completely hopeless never to a point where where I would end my life I'd had those thoughts a few times as a teenager but as an adult that's that's not something that's even on the table but it's just the thought of living in this state of mind for an eternity feels terrifying and that's my mental illness but i have the cure for it and that's to take care of myself tremendous self love deep respect um making choices that work for me from whatever it is from just not falling into the bardo into a void and having more structure with meditation and yoga and just really taking care of myself and not falling down the rabbit hole do you think that it uh is something that you i mean is it something that you have always struggled with in one way shape or form um not belonging in the world unworthiness mm-hmm. and um feelings of just deep insecurity at times yeah like super common i think right um you know i i don't want to <clears throat> sugarcoat it and say oh yeah everybody it's human but you know i don't find myself unique in that way but it's something that but it's in me so it's mine mhm and um yeah and I, go ahead no you please well i think that like you said it, you know you don't find yourself unique and but it is yours right right and we always i think tend we i think we have a tendency to think that we are first off i think people tend to think that they are unique even if they do it in like a um i don't know like in a negative way where they beat themselves up thinking that yeah uh, oh i'm not special but in reality they think they are special or anyways we tend to make our stuff all about us right and i think that's normal i think that's okay but we all have all of these similar threads and these commonalities between us and i think it is the human experience where everybody questions their worth and their value and their place in the world and what they're actually doing and who they're benefiting and why are they even here and all these kind of different things. Yes. And it's just this huge wave. <laughs> yes. At this point in your life, is it something that you can feel coming on or do you still get kind of surprised by it from time to time? I get a little surprised by it and it 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 happens more when I travel. And uh I can just give an example of um the last time I went to New York I um I fell into something deep and it started because um a lack of sleep and then I was at a, a hotel that um that I was put at that just had a I could just feel that maybe there'd been some murders there <laughs> in the course of time it was uh in hell's kitchen and that's just how it started and um 
I, I drank a little bit more than I normally do. And it just, that's where it, that's where it began. Mm-hmm. And it was all internal. You know, I, I, fun- I was highly functioning and did my work, but internally I was going through such a battle. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate those moments. And I, I see it everywhere. I, like I was just uh, talking to a, a dear friend of mine and she was telling me about that. And she's very lean and mean and, you know, just in great shape. And she was telling me that she had a, a bout with feeling overweight. And for three or four or five days, she just couldn't even walk out of the house because she thought that everybody was looking at her laughing and thinking she was very fat. The mind does such crazy things, doesn't it? Yes. I think, um, cause I struggle in that same space. Like I said, I think it's a very common thing for people to struggle in when it comes to, cause I mean, we could label these things as like depression or anxiety or things like that. And that's fine if it's easier for people to contextualize it and put a label on it. But it is, uh, like it's, mm, I was going to say multidimensional, <laughs> but it's multi-layered, right? It's not one thing. It comes and goes in different waves and different layers at times. And there's been times when I get, cause it's, it's right in the space of what I'm working on right now in my life. It's right in the space of what I'm trying to practice more of, be more conscious and aware of. So that I don't find myself in not only the negative train of thoughts and, um, but really the way of living in such a way where, like you said, outwardly, it looks like everything's fine for the most part and you're functioning, but internally this chaos that ensues within your own kind of self-talk and the way that you view yourself and the way that you're thinking about your experiences, that for me has always been a really big struggle but it wasn't until I really started to step outside of it and get awareness of it to even realize that it wasn't, uh, that it didn't have to be that way. Do you know what I mean? Cause it's your norm for so long, or at least it was my norm for so long that I didn't realize that there was an issue. You're not even aware that there's an issue. This is just the way that your mind operates and functions. And then right now trying to do all these different things that I'm doing to try to stay in the space where I can be conscious and aware of what I am feeling, speak to myself internally in a more real way, like in uh, a more honest, truthful way, as opposed to such a negative uh, viewpoint of myself and where I'm at in life. And then trying to pick up the things that would trigger me ahead of time so that I don't fall back into those same patterns and routines and behaviors. I realized uh, a while ago, maybe four or five years ago, how much I um, cycled with the seasons. And I could look over the course of my life and see a bunch of periodic or times of uh, my life where shit got really crazy and really chaotic. And then like draw correlation to the fall, winter, early springtime. And I'm like, it seems that there's a pattern there where when the seasons start to change into winter, shit starts to spin out of control for me. And so then I just bring awareness to it and know that like right now I'm really happy and things are going really well and I'm very um, positive about everything and where I'm at in life. But I know going into the winter months, I just have to be more conscious and aware because that is one point of contention for me. Right. 
And so then it's like, okay, you know, and I'm doing much better at that, picking up on all those little subtle things and noticing when I am starting to shift and change slightly so that I can go back to some of these things that I've been doing, some of these practices to stay in the uh, flow that I would much rather be in as opposed to getting lost into the other one. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We just have to steer the ship a little more masterfully at this point. Yeah, it's hard though. It's definitely a challenge. That's the other thing too I always think of when I talk about this with people. That's one thing that I try to, because it's my opinion obviously, but the stigma that we attach to mental health and that somehow... Uh, there's something wrong with us, whether it's an illness or that we're broken or there's some sort of disease. I think that's a misnomer. And then I also think it's a misnomer that we ever heal completely from it. And it's not something's broken and then it's fixed and then we're never going to deal with that issue again. It's just this um, pattern or wave of energy or whatever hippie shit we want to label it as. But it just comes and it goes. And there's times when it knocks you on your ass a little bit more. And there's times that you're able to cope and deal with it more. And it's always going to be present in your life because I think at the end of the day, it's simply emotion that we're feeling. And we just have to continually practice the art of feeling emotion, connecting to emotion, processing emotion, and like wholly allowing our body to feel without the uh, need to label or contextualize or put into a box or whatever the case may be. What a great question. Because (laughs) truthfully, Craig, that's the only thing that I've been working on in my life is how to deal with that. I never labeled it as mental illness. I knew I was fucked, but I didn't quite label it that. And uh, no shame in it. It is definitely something that that we're actually blessed to be able to to manage but that's exactly what i've been working on have you ever gone through like did you ever have times of your life where you were seeing a therapist or a counselor and get diagnosed with something and be on medication or Mm -hmm. anything like that i've never uh i always tried to get diagnosed but I mean, I I always felt like that depression followed me around Mm -hmm. and, uh, every time I, and I've dealt with one, one doctor about it and he, um, he's adamant about telling me that it's not, that it's, it's just light depression. And, um, I have tried when I, um, when I got divorced about, um, eight years ago, I went on um, a light dosage of um, antidepressants and for a few months to, you know, even before I did that, I was still functioning, but we decided that it would help me to get a little more inspired for, to build my business back. And, um, and then since then, I, I always knew I could go back on it when, um, when things would get low in my life, but 
I did quite a bit of research on it, and that's when I started my journey thinking about exactly what we've just been talking about and how to to keep myself um, solid enough in a way and develop the skills to be able to deal with with those lows without numbing myself with um, with chemicals, which I think it served a purpose. And they do serve a purpose and they save a lot of lives. But I, I feel like if I really wanted, it was time for me to step up and, um, and find all the ways that I could to, to become, uh, to be able to cope with it and manage this particular thing that has been following me around since I was, since I discovered it when I was about 13 years old. <clears throat> did you uh i i should have had the caveat too before we even fucking pushed record but obviously <laughs> i love the surprise it's great <laughs> well if i ever ask you anything and you don't want to talk about it that's totally cool as well because this isn't live and i go back and edit these episodes and we can always cut out whatever we need to cut out but um did you have shame at any point when you were taking medication and feel like it was a sign of weakness or that you know um that you were going to, that people were going to view you as being mentally unstable or unbalanced. And did you ever have any of that kind of internal struggle or were you okay with kind of realizing that it was for a time period and it helped and it got you over the hump of what you were experiencing and things like that? I think I was okay with it, but if I had shame, I didn't publicly talk about it, but if I had shame about it, I, um, no, I don't think so, because the only people that I shared with were were very trusting people that just wanted the best for me. And yeah, no, that didn't come up. You didn't struggle with that? At the, yeah, I just didn't like being numbed. And um, it also, uh, it creates um, a little bit of absence of emotion for a man in the sexual area mm -hmm. and that wasn't not that i'm out there every night it's okay to take breaks but just i just realized that it's 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 manipulating something so deeply if that happens that there's got to be another way to deal with this than to to restructure the brain like that there was a time in my mid-20s when um, like to give you an example, I was, I got married to my first wife when I was really young. I was 19 or 20, uh, when we got married, um, started a family immediately. When I met my first wife, actually, she already had my uh, daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 19. When I met my first wife, she was, um, 18 months old. And so immediately right off the bat, I was a dad, which I loved. I was absolutely like, that was obviously life-changing, but I was very, very happy about that. And then short time later, we had our second daughter and I was a stay-at-home dad. Um, my first wife had a really good job at the time and she went out and worked and I stayed home with my daughters. And I loved the challenge of it and the joy of it, and the pleasure of it, but it was also very, very difficult. And I was in my early 20s and I also had all sorts of different things that were causing chaos in my life. And looking back now, it's all me, right? It's all me spinning and causing my own chaos and everything like that. But there was a time period where I thought that I was bipolar 
and I had, um, I've got mental illness in my family. I've got a really sweet dear aunt of mine that is basically like my second mom. We grew up right next door to each other. And I, you know, her, my cousins, her, uh, daughter and her son they're like brother and sister for me and she literally raised me along with my mom and uh she has bipolar and so growing up i got to watch and see what that was like and get some understanding of it in my teenage years to really see what it was and understand it but it uh implanted i think in some way shape or form that fear in my mind that I was um, experiencing that same stuff and that I was losing kind of connection with reality and all the chaotic things that were happening. And so I went on medication very, very briefly. And um, it was like, I hated the feeling of it. I hated the feeling of everything being muted. Yeah. It took all the highs and the lows and brought them all state, like all the way down to the same static place. And that was like, fuck that. I can't do that. It was it was really bizarre. I hated the physical effect that I had on my body yeah. from being uh, on those things. Yeah. I remember thinking, wait, am I really here? Yeah. <laughs> it throws you. Yeah. And then I had to, like, I stopped and, you know, luckily I didn't. And I'm looking back now, I don't think I was, you know, classically being able, you know, bipolar or anything like that, but I definitely had cycles with my moods that could be kind of easily tracked and patterned but it's learning that over the course of the next 10-15 years and recognizing that and then bringing me to this point in life where it's not that there's anything wrong with people that are bipolar it's not, that's the other thing too right everybody's normal and the normalcy of human experience is struggling with mental uh, balance and wellness and emotional balance and all of these different areas of our life physical spiritual all of these things everybody struggles in and nobody talks about them. And I get so fucking tired of it, Robert. Right, yeah. <laughs> it pisses me off. You know, you watch stuff on the TV and all the things that take place in society today and all the things that we uh, try to figure out why is this happening and all of these kind of different things. For me, it always boils back down to emotional well-being and balance and the massive amount of disconnect that we have in society today where people... <clears throat> aren't ever shown how to deal with their emotions, aren't ever shown how to process them, fill them, allow them to be there. Instead, the majority of it is disconnecting, turning them off, shutting them down, and pulling away from all of those difficult experiences that life undoubtedly throws at everybody. And I think that's what perpetuates this huge spin and cycle of just chaos. So... So that's my little part of trying to change that in the world is by talking about it on some silly podcast that people get to listen to. <laughs> well, it's awesome. I, uh, you know, I feel like this, it's an opportunity that my world just got changed by framing it differently. And for me being able to like really discuss it and, and, and realize, come to the realization that this is what's important. This is the core of what I'm working on in my evolution mm-hmm. is healing this. So what do you do now to work with it and to heal it and to process it? I know you mentioned earlier, obviously you've got meditation, you've got yoga, you've got some of these mindfulness techniques and lifestyles and things like that, that you can rely on and go back to. Is there anything else that you have found that you kind of works for you? 
Well, the meditation is really the most important part because, you know, sitting, for instance, three times a day, 10 minutes each time, just having the opportunity to just journey inside and be home. That's, that's the foundation. And then, and that helps everything else. That helps me not have the kind of habits that, um, that lead to, you know, more destruction. Um, you know, from anything from like when I was telling you that I went to New York, it was a combination of, I was around a lot of, uh, military folks and, and, um, there was just, I was out of my element with what I eat and there was a lot of alcohol and sugar and just everything. And then the, the hotel and the disgusting carpet and the, the strong lights and the, the bathroom and just everything about it was just, it all conspired to bring me down. Mm-hmm. So that was an extreme case, but for the most part, just having a, having a practice and when I say a practice, that three times a day of meditation, that's that's what I've been committed to lately. And um, just quieting down. Because rather than running from it by um, making a lot of noise and numbing, whatever, comfort things. <clears throat> what are the ways that you've numbed it in the past or that you still do? There's a a desire for um i think that when we're feeling i'm not an expert on this but when we're feeling like we need to be grounded sometimes our mind gets confused and we want um sugar maybe is it so there's just a lot of things that can happen to to numb it from that to um toxic television toxic relationships um, social media, being on, spending too much time on in the phone, thinking that reality's in the phone, and uh, never really taking the time to to just sit and appreciate the the leaves blowing, and just simplicity. And for me, that's that that's what it is. And the, just everything else is noise. There's yeah. so much noise. Yeah. <clears throat> We're making noise right now. <laughs> I uh for me it was food. Like food was my okay, biggest food. disconnect. And over my life I've had others like alcohol. There's been periods of times where like when I got uh I didn't like choose to leave law enforcement. Uh, I got fired from being a cop. And that set me on this trajectory for like the next year of just consistently always being buzzed. Like I never, right. you know, was crazy alcoholic, but it was just this consistent pattern of drinking every day, every other day on a very, very regular basis. And, um, that in conjunction with food and then of course smoking, I've smoked for like 20 years and all of these things are just disconnects. But for me, it was always food. Food has been the hardest one for me to, um, contend with and, what's been really fascinating for me was how much it actually plays a role in my mental bounce. Right. Right. It's easy to see it in the physical and everybody initially focuses, I think on 
our physical health when it comes to food and our relationship with food because it's the easiest to see. And over the past year, I have changed not just my diet, but my relationship with food and the way that I think about it and the way that I eat it and the way that I use it. And I've seen the physical effects of it, which is wonderful, and it makes me feel better and I function better and all those kind of things. But not only the mental effect that food has had on my life, as well as the uh, emotional aspect of it, where it was like not that long ago, it was like three months ago. Um, I had been eating really, really healthy for a long time and doing really, really good and feeling much better as far as my physical body and everything like that. And then fell off the wagon in a sense and had about three or four weeks of where I was just eating a bunch of shit and kind of sliding back into some old patterns and routines. And I had this moment where I was like outside at home and I was very angry. I had all of this anger and frustration and I was feeling all of this intense, like just anger. And I like sat there and I realized... I'm pissed off and I'm angry, but at nothing. Like I looked at my life and I realized everything was fine. Uh, There wasn't anything happening that was, you know, deserving of all of this emotion and all of this strong anger and frustration. And then I started to like correlate it and realize that it had kind of coincided with my diet turning back into shit and eating things that I knew weren't, wasn't healthy for me and that would affect me. And that was really like a turning point for me. And then I started to track and see um, how I felt mentally and emotionally, both when I was eating uh, healthy and when I was eating poorly. And that has just brought so much clarity into the space of like it truly, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Obviously, it's just the fuel that we put into our body and our body does all these sorts of different things, not just the physical stuff. And so once I started putting in the fuel that works for my body and my makeup, all of these things have gotten so much clearer and so much easier to balance and maintain. Radical discipline. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, it'll take you down. <laughs> Seriously. I know. My pattern is exactly the same. And uh, it starts with one thing, and then you let go of the other things. You stop going to the gym as much, everything changes. Yeah. Meditation goes out the door. Because it starts to fuck with that mental like talk that we have, right? Where we don't think that's what's happening. But if we could like break it down on a neurochemical level and see what, you know, synapses are taking place in our brain and what chemicals our body's releasing. And it's all correlated to that fuel that we're putting into the system. And so that stuff comes in, whether it's sugar, sugar jacks us up, obviously, in all sorts of different ways. And then all those things that take place in our brain that lead to our emotional thoughts and our emotional well-being and our mental thoughts start to get skewed and screwed up and sometimes i i do think it's as simple as just what you're eating even though that's a huge you know multi-layered thing as well but sometimes it is just that simple and so then starting to change and recognize and it's an ongoing journey man it's that whole practice of life thing so just three months ago that was kind of the that was kind of like this huge awareness point because it was always and that's the other thing too is like we're not reinventing the wheel the stuff that we're talking about now isn't like you know somehow you and i have mastered this thing and we're enlightening everybody with this new topic or something like that it's all old shit that people have talked about and discussed a thousand different ways and all sorts of different areas but for me because i knew it you know i i understood the concept i knew 
but to really have the, um, it was like having the experience in my own life and being able to witness the experience and see the experience and draw those correlations, finally put those puzzle pieces together for me in a way that made sense that I had an experience surrounding, then I could move forward from that point. And like, uh, today, I, I mean, I feel incredible. I feel amazing. And I feel my relationship in regards to food and the way that I would use it as a way to disconnect or as a coping mechanism for the strong emotion that I was feeling, you know, that's such an easy one for me to look at and recognize if I'm sad or if, even if I'm happy, I feel like there's these two ends of the spectrum of emotion. One's deep sadness and one's joy and happiness. And I think on both ends of those spectrum, society as a whole incorporates food. If we're really sad, then we're going to eat, you know, comfort food. And then if we're really happy and we're at a party or a, a get together, or it's the holidays where everything's full of laughter and joy and happiness, what do we do? We usually surround those experiences with food as well. And by and large, <laughs> they're not, you know, <laughs> they're called comfort foods for a reason. Oh yeah. <laughs> And so I look at all of that now where it's like, yes. where can I, what fuel am I putting into my body? Because I want to fill both ends of those spectrum fully, whether it's anger and sadness and depression. I want to be in that and feel that because I find, I find strength in, in feeling them my way through those emotions rather than disconnecting from them. Because I realized that the practice of feeling that end of the spectrum and those negative emotions has strengthened my ability to feel the uh, positive emotions, the joy and the happiness and the love when I get into those experiences as well, where it's like no longer are they muted in any way, shape or form. I get the full, the full extent of what those emotions have to hold, even though it's challenging at times. Remarkable. <laughs> we're on parallel journeys so i think it was about three months ago that i decided that <clears throat> i was going to take uh a month at least a month and uh give up um television um sugar alcohol um really put boundaries around interacting with toxic relationships and I had a whole list of things that I would I would just experiment mm -hmm. so what I found was basically all those things they're noise and uh, to, to numb somehow they all everything numbs in a certain certain way and what I found after a few days of this kind of deep detoxified sobriety is that I felt tremendous sadness at times. And I also felt tremendous joy, like the agony and the ecstasy. But <clears throat> what was very different about it was my vessel was capable of having a river of sadness flowing through me simultaneously as a river of joy. And that brought me happiness because I was embracing the full spectrum of life. That makes me way happy, man. Yeah. 
Do you feel like you've ever done that before? I've had moments, um, but as I mature, I've become more aware of what's really happening. And that was the first time that I really noticed that, that that's the ticket right there to be able to feel it all. Just go with it. Like, oh yeah, you know what? Life, hey, everybody dies, you know, or things are beautiful. Everything is, is right there. So just embracing all that. And I think as um, my father recently um, had uh, lung cancer and had some surgery for it. So I was thinking a lot about that, that I didn't want to run from the pain this is. Because I noticed that um, for the most part, when people are sick, the family and friends act in, with extreme neurosis. That's another number. So I just realized that I wanted I want to be awake. Period. Whatever it takes to be awake. And then at the same time, my I will battle with that I'm all I, I crave, you know, I crave numbing things. It's a whole muscle to be awake. It's very much a muscle. Like you said, I mean, it's, I like that you describe it that way, where that, that thing of practicing feeling the full spectrum of emotion that life has is something that very, very few people ever, uh, practice. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not a muscle that we are aware of. It's not a muscle that we work out. It's not a muscle that gets stretched. It's just this, uh, thing that we're not aware of. <laughs> And so it takes copious amounts of practice in order to get into that space. And I'm right there with you. Like you said, it's this parallel journey because that's all that I've been doing for the past year is practicing that fine art of fully, not just embracing and leaning into all emotion and feeling, but allowing it to exist without trying to numb it, disconnect from it, Right. but also without trying to understand it even without trying to fix any of it. Why am I feeling this way? And then coming up with a scenario or a solution or an answer to why this feeling is here in hopes that I can then stop the feeling or not repeat the feeling from happening in the future. Instead of that par or that diagram, simply just this emotion is here. I'm going to allow it to show up. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to sit with it. You know, it's like, I always use this metaphor. Um, it's like all these emotions line up at our front door and they just stand there and knock on the door and we either go over and we answer the door and let it in and it hangs out and then it leaves and goes out the back door. But right behind it is another emotion and another emotion and another emotion. And if we never open up that front door to let them come in and hang out and then leave out the back door, they'll just stand there and wait. Eventually they'll kind of stop knocking on the door but we can still feel the weight of everybody in our front yard lined up down our sidewalk yeah. <laughs> waiting to get in. And so now it's just like, I open up that door and let them come in, sit with them, hang out with them, and then watch them go fully knowing that something else is coming through that door. And it may be happiness. It may be joy. It may be more anger, more sadness, more pain. 
It might be more intense. It might be less intense. It might be all of these different things that we experience because they're all shades of the same emotions. But um, I want all of them. I want to feel all yeah. of them. And I don't care why they're here. I don't need to label them. I don't need to solve the puzzle of why I'm feeling the way that I am. I just recognize that I'm feeling it. And that practice, that fine art of sitting with those feelings and letting them wash through you has changed my life completely, like in every aspect that I can think of. And that's the fix, I think. That's the way to solve the great mystery of why the hell we're here. I'm just here to feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, a, it's such a grown-up thing to do. Yeah, it feels like it sometimes. Yeah. And then I watch my kids do it naturally. <laughs> I watch them not even really struggle with it sometimes. It's like they realize at an early age or even from the time that they're born that they're just feeling until we come in and get in their way of stopping those feelings or telling them that they're wrong for having those feelings or trying to shift and change their perspectives when I think kids and people in general naturally do this, but then life goes the way that it goes and disconnects us from that natural process. Well, that's awesome, man. That makes me really happy. Yeah, it makes me happy. The only time I'm really, truly happy and satisfied is when we're in that state of allowing and not resisting. It's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. hard as hell, but it's, it's tragic not to have felt it. And I think that's a lot what Rumi's talking about and Khalil Gibran, Pablo Neruda. I don't think it can be, well, I don't, I don't think it, <clears throat> I don't think it's a permanent state. And I don't think it's, I don't think the purpose is to get to that state and stay in that state all the time. I think that the purpose of it is to get there, to fill it and recognize what it is so that you can get back to that place. But it's balancing all things, right? If we just stayed in that space all the time, even though it feels so good and even though it seems like such a positive way of thinking, feeling, moving through life, I think we have to come back into the other end of the spectrum from time to time as well and struggle and work and practice once again to get back to that space. Because undoubtedly, that's how you grow, that's how you develop more, that's how you get better and better and better. But I've let go of that idea that at some point I'm going to be so enlightened that I'm never going to feel things anymore and I'm never going to get depressed and I'm never going to get angry. And I've let go of all of that and be like, I want to feel depressed. I want to feel angry because it allows me to feel the opposite end of the spectrum as well. And as opposed to just staying in all that love and light and all the positivity and that happy flow place all the time. No, I want to be in the flow of all of it all the time. So that's my goal. <sighs> See, it's a good question to start off a podcast with because undoubtedly it leads people. Is it the only question? Uh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is the first podcast I've ever done where um, no one asked me about my work. And that's so refreshing because uh, this is really what my work is. Yeah. So thank you. You came as a as a reminder, a wake-up call, keep working, keep diving, keep under, trying to understand. That was, 
That was cool, man. You just came with one question. It's a good question. I yeah. like it. It's it's shocking to me how how hard it is for some people to uh, talk about, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's I been really imagine. surprising. We had a guest that said that there's nothing wrong with them. There's people that will uh, that will immediately kind of minimize it and pawn it off and be like, ah, oh, yeah, no, yeah, I've never really been diagnosed with anything. I don't really struggle with anything. Every now and then I get a little depressed, but that's about it. And then I'll try to like probe just a yeah. little bit more, but it's like super obvious that right. <laughs> they're not going to go to that place and they're not going to discuss it. But yeah, like everybody, everybody does. I had my brother on the podcast. I've got an older brother of mine. And, um, I really wanted to connect with him. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to know more about him and his life. I knew all the bullet points of his life, right? Because he's my brother. So I could lay out his life on paper and tell you what he's done and where he's been and all these things. And you know exactly how mentally fucked up he is. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Your brother. I look at his life and I think he's got to be struggling, right? He's got to be dealing with these issues. And he was incredibly resistant to the conversation, to the topic, even as the, even the bigger picture of me trying to connect and, and get him into that space to even open up and have some of that vulnerability with me and talk about some yeah. of those things. He was super resistant. No to fist it. fight though. No, no, luckily somewhat we're past that stage. Yeah. We definitely you, went through and that you phase, can kick his ass, right? <laughs> I can. He's my <laughs> older brother, but doesn't matter once you pass 20. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, cause we didn't, I mean, we fought all the time growing up. I have two older brothers. And so we definitely grew up fighting, but it was always like um, roughhousing and rustling and, you know, periodically hitting and punching each other. But for the most part, it wasn't like fist fights. And then it was actually I'm trying to think I probably was like 17, maybe 18. And um, he's a few years older than I am. He's about four years older than I am. And we went and saw a fight club way back when it came out. Oh, wow. And uh, we came home in the backyard and just started... Just started going for it. Like real fighting, like in Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. You and just, your brother did that. Yeah. We just went out in the backyard. We didn't have gloves on or anything. We just started swinging at each other. So this is like, this is well over 10 years ago, Fight Club, right? Yeah. It's like 20 years ago. Yeah, it's 20 years ago. I think okay. it was the late 90s. You were 90s. in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I was young. You were still stupid. I'm very stupid. And, um, but I remember there was this moment where I realized I was winning. Like I had the edge and we had this like exchange thrown no fists way. and I stopped myself cause he had, I had caught him a couple of times and he was kind of like leaning down and was off balance. And I was kind of like ready to come down over the top and really get him. And I stopped and I'm like, Oh shit. Like, obviously I love my brother and we weren't angry at each other. We were just fucking around cause we had watched fight club and we were like all full of that energy. Fired and, up. Yeah. And so I stopped, but from that point on, it was like, oh, I clearly have the upper hand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I told you earlier that I used to train in jujitsu yeah. and stuff like that. And at the time when we started going, he actually was the one that found the place that we trained together at. And we went, uh, initially in the beginning, he was coming as well, but I just had, uh, like I always knew from that point on way back when we watched fight club together that. I could always kick my older brother's ass at that point. And I mean, 
not that it matters in the big grand scheme of things, but at an 18 year old, you know, perspective, it was very, very rewarding. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> an initiation into, into manlyhood. Mm-hmm. Do you have siblings? Two older sisters, but, and they used to, <clears throat> I remember we used to fight a little bit or my, my mother used to like come after me a little bit with like the wooden spoon or something, never really connect or anything, but just chased me around the house when I would fuck up. And, uh, but I remember one day that she came at me and I just stood there and I, was, <laughs> I knew that, that I was, that it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a major moment in my evolution. <coughs> I think Steph's afraid of that moment because we've got our 12 year old boy. Oh, okay. And he's right in the stage of like, puberty and hormones and expressing himself and embracing all of that energy. But at the same time, he's still like, you know, wants to be a little boy, wants to be tucked in, wants all those kind of comforts of his parents. And, um, all the time he's always like talking about how he's taller than me or taller than her. He's stronger. And he's, you can tell that he's got all this, uh, like the precursors to him having or wanting that moment in his life. And, like Steph is, I think she's deathly afraid of that moment because in her mind, she always wants to be able to kick his ass, even though we don't kick our kids' asses. Right, yeah. <laughs> but she wants to know for certain that, and undoubtedly it'll happen one day where he'll realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to do what my parents tell me to. Exactly. Because the consequences that exist in my mind aren't really there anymore. But it's funny. It's funny to watch him. Yeah. I was going to ask you something else. I'm trying to remember now. Well, you only get one question. Though. <laughs> it was a spinoff of that question. I was going to ask you, because um, one of the things that I like, at least the idea of, is that people can listen to these conversations and glean something that they can take into their everyday life, even if it's a thought or a feeling or something that resonates and sits with them. And I was going to ask you, like, what would be advice that you would give somebody if they wanted to, you know, maybe they have the awareness that they need to change something in their life and they are starting to become more and more aware of their emotions and their feelings and trying to find balance in that space. And that's what I was going to ask you. But more importantly, I think that because the things that work for you, right, things that you talked about, the things that kind of help you stay balanced and that you can work towards and the presence of meditation and yoga and all those kind of things that have incorporated into your life. There's so many people out there that aren't going to resonate with that. And even the greater scheme of what we have kind of been talking about of sitting with your feelings and allowing them to come, it's such a fucking hard concept for people to understand and get a hold of. And they don't they, I, don't, I think people don't see the validity of it, and I think they're, you know, chalk it off to spiritual dumb shit that doesn't mean anything to them. And so what would be your advice, or what do you think would work to try to reach those people that wouldn't be open to... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's interesting because I feel like we have not said one spiritual thing. It's really not even necessary to say spiritual things. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, but people that are <clears throat> completely 
um, that none of what we said would resonate with. Um, boy, I, uh, well, if they're, I feel like if they're listening to anything that has a name like energy is love podcast, (laughs) (laughs) you're not telling me the truth here. (laughs) They're thinking about something. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I would just, you know, I think quiet is really such an important thing. Like even if it's hopefully maybe you do some exercise and, and, um, if it's walking, just positive affirmations, you know, realize that you can create the life you want. And, uh, there's just so much chatter inside of our minds that it's important to build the muscles to, um, to re reposition ourselves and, and re rewire ourselves or because for me, there's a tremendous amount of negative chatter at times. So that's when I really have to step it up. So that's what I mean. It's whether you go to the gym or you go on the treadmill um, or you walk your dog or drive to work, take the train, just take time to, to, to give yourself some, some positive talk that you're worth it. Yeah, I like it. <clears throat> that's all. That's that's all I got for because ultimately that's what what I'm doing with meditation or yoga is just emptying out the unnecessary so that um, I can invite in something more positive. Yeah, I like it, man. And I'm out of questions. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to chat about? I'll ask you questions. How's that? That works. All right. So, uh, so in, you were at, in Utah at a state prison? It was a county, a county jail. Okay. And but, what was uh, your job? I was a corrections officer. And so... A CEO. Yes. So the facility was, um, I think, 2,500 beds or something. It was the biggest correctional facility in the valley. Oh, it's probably crazy there. Yeah. Total chaos. So 2,500 people in Utah. Mm-hmm. Just in, in the jail, obviously. Yeah, yeah. In Salt Lake City? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, all like blacks, Latinos, whites, Aryan nation, the whole nine, everything? Yeah. it's a. It was a different model um, in, in the realm of correctional facilities and, and prisons and jails like that, they've gone through an evolution over the course of the past 50, 60, 70 years and things like that. And this jail, the Salt Lake County jail was what they called direct supervision. And so the inmates, the prisoners weren't in their cells or in whatever we want to call them. Uh, they had a, a large housing unit right? and the housing unit had 64 people in it. So you had 32 beds or 32 cells with two guys to a cell and then one officer in that housing unit. So one officer mm-hmm. for, for 64 guys. And did you ever, were you ever that officer? I was always that officer. Oh, you were. That was my job. So that's, I've always wondered about that because obviously, cause I, I walked through San Quentin once and there was only one guy and he was just so relaxed sitting at a desk and there must've been 300 people. Mm-hmm in this chaotic with tears and the whole nine. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm wondering is 
you had to, somehow you had to establish a system where it would cost too much for them not to protect you if something did go down, right? How did you do that? Something had to be going on rather than you just sitting there trusting that no one was going to mess with you. <laughs> well, because that's the other thing that I think people don't realize. Um, like those 64 prisoners are out and about the entire time, depending on, I mean, the shift that I worked was, you know, during the daytime. So they were out all the time of their cells. They weren't locked down. Oh, yeah, they're cooking, making hooch, rolling yeah. cigarettes. Moving everything. around. Uh, you're not in, I wasn't the way that facility was set up. I wasn't in any sort of like secured room or anything like that. It's basically like just a raised platform in the middle of the housing unit that was your desk. And there's nothing stopping them from walking the two steps up onto that raised platform to do whatever they wanted to you. And you had to move off of that platform and move around the housing unit and do different things and whatnot. And uh, that scared the fuck out of me when I started. I had no idea that that's what it was like. And I was like, how the hell am I going to go into this unit with 64 guys and I was going to be the only guy? Well, what year was that? Uh, like 2008. Oh, so you'd already... That was right around when Oz was at its height. Did mm -hmm. you watch that show? I didn't at the time. Oh, you're blessed that you never watched that show because <laughs> you never would have taken that job. Yeah. No, it was really a, an eye-opening experience for me. But what you had to do, and not everybody did it, um, was just maintain that presence. That presence of not like, um, I mean, you just had to fucking be squared away. And you had to have that squared awayness in everything that you did. You didn't have to come off like an asshole. You didn't have to come off like, do you know what I mean? You just had to be squared away. And your movements, your actions, your interactions with the prisoners, uh, the way that you handled yourself and you carried yourself and things like that. So basically you set up that tone and that energy that that officer, well, you didn't fuck with that officer because he just had presence and could handle himself, yeah. not just in the physical sense, but like he knew what he was doing, right? But they and must have tested you a lot at first, all the time, right? All the time. They did with all new officers. Yeah. And there were plenty of officers that didn't have that presence. And they those, tear them up. Yeah, they just know. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. they, The prisoners knew who they could fuck with, who they couldn't. When so-and-so was on, they never did anything. And then when so-and-so, you know, the next guy came on shift is when they would do everything that they needed to and wanted to because they knew that that officer wasn't squared away. Yeah. So you had to kind of have that mentality as well as carry that energy. Otherwise, I mean, me personally, I think otherwise you're kind of fucked. Not just in the sense that, you know, you could get hurt, you could get killed, your life could be in jeopardy at any point. But at the same time, like, our goal is to protect them as well, right? We're right. there to protect the prisoners as well from each other at times and things like that. And you're not going to be able to do your job if you're not in that state. And then, so did you make some buddies with other COs? Would you hang with them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> watch MMA together, drink beers, play <laughs> poker. <laughs> How'd it go down? Yeah. I, I mean, I went through the uh, academy with, I think I had like 15 or 16 guys in my academy that I went through with, and it was like a three-month process. So intense bonding experience with those guys, and then we all go over to the jail to work together. And, uh, it was, like I said, it was a big facility. So, so-and-so might be on the other side of the building 
you know, in the housing unit opposite yours or whatever the case may be, but really strong relationships and bonds with those guys. Exactly. Like hanging out, doing things afterwards, going on vacations together, all that kind of stuff. And I'm still friends with some of those guys even today from, from way back then. And you would, you, were you bigger then working out a lot? No, I've never been like a super, um, fit guy. I, I've never been the guy that like lifted a lot of weights or anything like that. I've always been big as far as like, do you know what I mean? I'm just a big guy, but I've never, I'm I'm not, I don't have the patience to sit and dedicate, you know, my life to exercising or workout. I've gone through phases when I've been healthier and more fit and things like that. But by and large, I've always just been a bigger guy that could handle himself. And I never had any issues when it came to um, any sort of physical altercation. So after, uh, you worked in the prison or the jail, Mm -hmm. um, you became a police officer. Yeah. I did the jail for like two and a half years. And after, I mean, the whole entire last year of being there, it was just miserable. It was really, really hard for me to be in that environment and to be in that space. It's such a negative place man it's oh, just yeah. you know it's hard yeah it's hard i go one once two or three two times a year <laughs> and it's so intense yeah yeah i really hated being inside of the jail and so i wanted to get out and go work on the road and eventually i was able to i got hired by an agency after i'd been in the jail for about two and a half years and then i went out and was a police officer on the road for almost five years on the road mm-hmm. oh okay on the you were on the highway no, no, like, I mean, that's just kind of what it's referred to as, rather than being like a, like a CO inside of a correctional okay. facility, and now okay. I'm out on the road working as a and cop. this is in Salt Lake City as well? No, I worked in a smaller agency outside of Salt Lake City. It was in a town of about 45,000 people called Tooele. Tooele. Yeah, so I worked for that city department out there. I know Provo. Yeah. Provo south of Salt Lake. This is all kind of out west in the middle of nowhere, rural communities. But Twill is the biggest city out there. And I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So you moved to... I lived out there. Okay. Yeah, I lived out in the... Not in that same town, but out in that area. And so before I was driving into Salt Lake to commute to the jail every day. And that was another thing that was really, you know, 45 minutes, an hour to drive to work every day and... You worked like seven days a week and had four days off and it was just asinine. So getting out on the road and becoming a police officer was a good, good change for me at the time. And I was super jazzed about it. What was more stressful? Definitely being a cop. Yeah. Yeah. Not that being a CO isn't hard. It's insanely difficult and hard, but it's like a next level up when you're out on the road. Right. There's no monotony out there. There is. There is. Yeah, there's definitely a hum and a monotony that takes place after time because even the things that you would think wouldn't be monotonous, whatever the hell, (laughs) monotonous, monotonous become so because you become so uh, used to them and numb to them that even the things that shouldn't be monotonous were. Are you still decompressing from the high levels of stress that you were faced with as a police officer? I'm not really anymore, but that took a long time. That's something else that has, um, been affected this last year. Uh, prior to that, I was still very much in the flow of it 
and decompressing from it's a great way to describe it but well yeah uh, there was no space to you had to be on yeah yeah stephanie jokes with me she wishes that i was on more sometimes because i don't carry myself that way i don't wear that anymore i don't think like that i don't look at the world that way anymore i'm very very like uh i'm just not tapped in the way that i used to be because i had to be at the time and now i don't have to be but i I, the honest truth is i don't think you need to be tapped in like that i think it's a fucking chaotic space to stay in regardless but uh i've shifted so much stuff and now it's like you know three years later i'm finally to the point where i'm starting to really not just make peace with that part of my life but also recognize even more and more and more how i'm not a cop you know that was my identity for so long and after i was no longer actually a police officer i would still think about myself as i used to be a cop or i would describe myself that way and i would still identify myself that internal self-talk right that thing that we've been talking about the way you think and talk to yourself as a cop and now it's to the point where it's like yeah i'm i'm not a cop obviously it's been a really long time since i was one i don't think like one anymore i don't act like one anymore that was simply a period of time in my life and uh, now i'm a completely different person yeah that's so funny. Officer Milosevic uh, also has a long beard and long hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what you do. Yeah, I haven't cut my hair since since I left because I used to shave it. Like I used to just have a shaved head. Shaved head and absolutely no, maybe a mustache. No, because I can't even grow a decent mustache. But uh, I didn't have any facial hair and would shave my head. And that's how I lived for 10 plus years. And so when it came time to no longer be a cop, I was like, I used to have long hair when I was a kid. Uh-huh. When I was a teenager, I grew my hair out. It, was, it wasn't quite as long as it is now, but I always told myself the day that I retire, like I was going to stop cutting my hair. And so I didn't quite retire from law enforcement, but I let my hair grow out since then. Well, I'm interested in following your journey and see how it it evolves even further because, um, <clears throat> wow, you've come a long way since being a CEO and a cop. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. It makes me happy. Yes. Robert, I can't thank you enough, man. Thank you, brother. It's so nice to get to meet you in person and get down and chat like this. I really, really appreciate it. We'll throw out all your stuff in the uh, show notes so people can go follow you and find your work and everything like that. But. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. All right. Thank you. I always felt like that depression followed me around. We just have to steer the ship a little more masterfully at this point. I just realized that I I want to be awake. Period. My vessel was capable of having a river of sadness flowing through me simultaneously as a river of joy. And that brought me happiness because I was embracing the full spectrum of life.